three wide to the left side. Jones in trouble. He's sacked at the 19. A sack. Chris Jones, stone cold, gets the big sack. The biggest of the season so far for the Chiefs. The Las Vegas Journal Review. Daniel Jones with Devontae Booker. On fourth down, they had a touchdown. Chiefs run a twist. Jones is hit. Down he goes. Down he goes, and now he flips it off to a lineman who goes down. The Chiefs will get a hold here. Daniel Jones, back-to-back sacks. The Las Vegas Review Journal. Welcome. You got to make sure that you have the right focus, the right technique, the right execution every single one of them. So we're going to play to our defense at times, our special teams at times, our offense at times. Uh, I'm not going to hesitate to do that. Like everybody here gets paid, right? Every coach gets paid, every player gets paid. We're here. Everyone's got to do their job. Cocaine isn't cheap. Seeing the pictures when I was walking out, it just, you know, it just made me tear up, you know. But we always got, we always got Super Bowl 50. I always got Broncos country, and um, yeah. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Remember now at the end of this segment, Vegas Golden Knights tickets against the Minnesota Wild. We'll get that coming up. Uh, before we get to some football, Pete DeBoer in Toronto just confirmed William Carlson out four to six weeks. He said lower body injury. It is a broken foot. Uh, and Adam, your your uh, thoughts. Howden will now center the misfit line. Yeah, we have to see what Pete DeBoer has in, in mind for everything else, too, right? right? I, I don't want to look at it in a vacuum in terms of one player and one line. Let's see how the combinations work out. The other thing is I would not expect that whatever you see at the beginning of a game, even for the Golden Knights, is what you're necessarily going to see at the end of the game because even when Pete DeBoer has had a full complement of forwards, he has still, in games where they have struggled, mixed up his lines mid-game. We'll see what happens tonight. Toronto, 4, 4 p.m. here, local time, uh, if you want to watch the Golden Knights. All right, let's get to some Raiders. Uh, Derek Carr, we're going to go Derek Carr, uh, how sustainable, and I'm going to ask you this off top, what is more sustainable in your mind? Derek Carr, the way he's playing now, the way he's played two weeks now with Greg Olson as the coordinator, they've averaged about 33.5 points in the two games, or is it more sustainable to believe that the defense will continue to play as it is? Derek Carr by a long shot, by an absolute long shot. And that's not to drag the defense. There are clear changes that have helped this defense. But that being said, they have played very much on the high side of their ability. And if the Raiders struggle on defense, I don't think it necessarily says that what we saw early was a mirage. I think it says that taking a leap from where they were the last two or three years to where they are now is not impossible, but it's not sustainable. We've seen Derek Carr give this level of production for quite a long time. This is not brand new for Derek Carr. It has been a steady progression under the Gruden years, especially for Derek Carr to get to this point. So I think it's absolutely sustainable for him. Uh, They're 14th now defensively. um, And I remember this when he was the coordinator there. Paul Gunther would uh, often tell me, and not always, obviously, because of the number of teams. But he said, if you're 14th, 13th, around that realm, you have a really good chance to make the playoffs. It was kind of his experience in terms of where you had to be ranked. Obviously, top five, top ten, you had a really good chance. So, 14th now, uh, I believe they're eighth in turnover ta- in turn of takeaways, which they didn't do well at all in the last few years. They're plus four in turnover takeaways. And Max Crosby, number two edge rusher by Pro Football fake Focus. Casey Hayward, number one cornerback. Nate Hobbs, number five cornerback. He's played really, really well, according to Pro Football Focus. So, I mean, 14th, like you're saying, it's not sustainable. Um, I'm agreeing with you because I don't think. But then again, I don't know if Crosby's going to drop that much and Casey Hayward's going to drop that much. Are they going to finish one and two at their particular positions? I'm not so sure about that. I mean, you have nine games left. Uh, To stay 14th might be difficult. Maybe they get better than 14th. 
Because the one thing I think they can continue to do, correct me if I'm wrong, is apply pressure. And I think if you do that, that helps everyone on the back end. Absolutely. And and I think here's the important part to keep in mind. They don't have to be better than 14th. Mm-hmm. They don't even right. have to be that good. All we said for the last two off seasons, all we have said is this offense is good enough that if the defense plays competent football most of the time, they're going to have a shot at the playoffs. If you want to use a metric that doesn't just take into account this year and look at what was the preseason thought on the Raiders. DVOA has them in their weighted measure 19th overall right now, 17th in defense. 17th is enough for this team to make the playoffs after starting five and two because the offense has been good. Yes, DVOA doesn't love the offense as much. That's in part, I think, built into uh, how much John Gruden loved to run the ball. But we've seen now that they're under center more. They're using play action more. They're doing things that are shown by the numbers to be sustainable over time, especially the play action part. The Raiders didn't use a lot of play action under Gruden. And we've proven stat after stat, time after time, you don't have to have a running game for play action to work. So Derek Carr has taken the step forward, and this defense just needs to be right where it is, middle of the pack. Is the Olsen move enough to believe that Carr won't come back to weeks four and five? Yes. I, yeah. Yes. I, I look. I, I really do believe four and five are the blip on the radar for, for Derek Carr um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think we have every reason to believe that the Raiders as a whole in week five can't be taken seriously. Um, there's obviously no reason that John Gruden should have been on the sideline for that game. Mark Davis has a lot of questions still to answer that he hasn't uh, about that. And week four, look, give the guy a bad week, right? Like we've reached the point, I think, where Derek Carr has for the last two plus years eliminated the happy feet and the struggles under pressure that we'd seen out of him for years previous. Even, all right, let's use one play as an example. The uh, interception that he threw in the red zone against the Dolphins uh, intended for Foster Moreau that ends up becoming an interception going the other direction. That play really it was more about a, a quarterback and a wide receiver not being on the same page right one thinking the route breaks one way one thinking the route breaks the other it wasn't just about Derek Carr sees pressure throws ball oh no so I don't think that you have to worry about what you saw middle of the pat middle of the season from Derek Carr at this point he's not your issue fix that offensive line and hope to God that the defense holds some semblance of what it has together that's what I wanted to get to next uh, a month ago uh, maybe even sooner than that. Uh, deservedly so. We were given the offensive line all kinds of grief. They weren't they weren't good at all. Uh, they had to move Leatherwood, which was not a good sign for uh, for where he was picked. Uh, had to move inside. Uh, but Carr has been clean. He was clean the last game. Uh, Raiders averaged four point one yards carry their last win. And through six weeks, though, they were last in the NFL three point three per carry. Is this line fixed? No, not even close. Um, but. They've figured out ways around it, and I think that's really the most important thing when it comes to this particular Raiders team, right? Uh, The run blocking still ranks last in football, and it ain't really all that close. Uh, By pro football focus, they're 32nd in run block. They're 24th in pass block. What you've done is you have gotten Derek Carr's time to throw Mm -hmm. in a pretty good spot. He's averaging 2.7 seconds time in the pocket. That's right middle of the pack. Uh, in the NFL, you don't want it to be to a tongue of Iloa 2.5 super fast because the Raiders want to throw the ball deep. And if you want to throw the ball deep, you've got to give your quarterback a little bit of time in the pocket. 
and also, I think the Derek Carr is spending a little longer in the pocket because teams have seen that it's not really a great idea to blitz him. He is a player who has performed pretty damn well when when uh, he's been blitzed. In fact, there was a point a couple of weeks ago where he had the biggest split uh, in pro football focus uh, passer grade between when he was blitzed and when he wasn't. So I don't, I don't know that it's fixed, but I do think that they've been able to scheme around it. I'm going to ask you about this, this coachy stuff. Now, I think it's really easy at 2-0 to say, you know what, Basachi is calmer, he's cooler on the sidelines, he's letting his coordinators coach. And for the most part, I think that's true. I think it's a different narrative if they're 0-2. I talked to Mark Davis yesterday, and his, his narrative is always it's week to week. I'm not thinking about anything except the Giants. We're going to let that handle itself. But it does seem that Rich Basachi has brought somewhat of a, I don't know if the right word is calmer attitude, and maybe that's just his personality. I mean, Gruden is, is you know, we heard yesterday is named Chucky for a reason. He's very emotional on the sidelines. Uh, if he wasn't yelling at Carr, he was yelling at Olsen so Carr could hear him. Uh, and Basachi is just different personality-wise, and I do think it's given Olsen and Bradley even more freedom to do their jobs. I'm not saying it's better. I, I, I They're 2-0 under him. I get that. I think sometimes it's just easier to take down the former coach when it starts getting better right away. But give me your thoughts on Basachi. And if they make the playoffs, and this offense is playing as it is, Bradley, I think, signed a three-year deal at least, so I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh could, can this can this work out for Rich Bisaccia? I mean, what does he have to do to make this work? And for Mark Davis to sit back and say, look, you know, I made the choice. It was probably an interim to begin with, but this is working well, and I don't really need to make a major change here when it comes to my coach. Rich Bisaccia only has to impress one person, Mark yeah. Davis. That's it. And this is this is an audience of one. Um, I, you know, this is not going to be Mike Mayock's choice. This is going to be Mark Davis's choice. And if he's happy with the direction that he sees Rich Passaccia taking this team, then then by all means, consider him for head coach. We've seen, let me just look at my own franchise when we talk about what we've seen recently. The New York Giants went and got Bill Belichick's special teams coordinator who had never been a head coach and decided that he was ready to lead one of the most valuable franchises in football. So it's not about, do you have the right experience? Do you come from the right tree? It really can just be about the right fit. And let's not overrate two games for Rich Passaccia. Right, exactly. But let's not underrate them either. Because the turmoil that John Gruden threw this organization into, the turmoil that Mark Davis and John Gruden threw this organization into, is not insignificant. And to steady that locker room, through that time does say something. Now, I don't think you use it as your entire evaluation to say, is this man ready to take the Raiders into the future on a three or four year contract? But you absolutely have to factor in, do the players respond to Rich Passaccia? And so far, the answer is yes. We talked about Gruden yesterday. Um, There are reports he might sue the NFL uh, for, and we assumed it was reputation damage. You, You can talk legally about this. I don't know what he's suing them for because, as Tyler made a good point, he still wrote the emails. He still got a settlement from the Raiders. I think we'd all like to know what it is. I think we're all guessing as to what it is. So legally, at, legally here, if we go, we'll go back to John Gruden for a second, what could he sue for? No one liked the timing. Obviously, he didn't like that they apparently leaked the emails, although the NFL has said they didn't, and they're going to deny it. And I think unless someone in their office is the whistleblower and comes out and says, yeah, we leaked the emails, that would probably be hard to prove, correct me if I'm wrong there, legally. But if John Gruden thinks he has a case here against the NFL, I don't know how far that would go because ultimately, did you write the emails? Yes, we wrote the emails. Well, that's why you were bounced. Hey, let me preface this. I once sat for the LSAT 
and did so badly on it that I actually signed my cancellation before I got out of the test. Like I walked up to the front and I said, is there a way to cancel this score so that it never shows up? And they said, yes, sign right here and it will not count and you can come take it another time. And I never went back. You never went back? So no, I never went back. I figured that that was a pretty good indication that I was not going to be a lawyer. So that being said, uh, we did pose this question to uh, Justin Watkins uh, from Battleborn Injury Attorneys, and Justin said that because Gruden is not an employee of the Washington football team, that Daniel Snyder would actually be in a much better position because he's if if Washington somehow were found to have leaked these, that John Gruden's not an employee. John, I mean, John Gruden is essentially collateral damage uh, from the Washington organization. So, you know, we don't know that Daniel Snyder necessarily leaked them, but from what we know from talking to folks with an actual law degree, um, he might not have that great a case. When we come back, it's Candy's Chonies. But first, first, 364-1100, we're going to go with Derek Carr's number, number four. Vegas Golden Knight tickets against the Minnesota Wild. Get on the phone right now, 364-1100. Candy's Chonies when we come back. But first, let's give away some Vegas Golden Knights tickets. Give us a call now, 364-1100. Go see the Knights against the Wild. Candies, chonies. Eh, nobody cares about that. It's not a big deal. Guys. It is a massive deal. How do you not understand this? Hundreds of corporations have been hacked in the last few years, and no one gave it. Name one. Equifax. Candies, chonies. Name another. Target. Candies, chonies. Name another one. PlayStation. Name one more. Yahoo. Another. Marriott. One more. eBay, Uber, Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Home Depot, Facebook. God damn it. Candies, chonies. Fine, we get UPS, it. UPS, Chase Bank, Tumblr, LinkedIn. People don't care about privacy. What they care about is a good story. Congratulations to Daniel. He won the BGK Wild tickets. Have fun time, Daniel. Also, remember the Marcus Arroyo radio show each Wednesday at Parkway Tavern, 630 to 730. Come on out! Meet Coach Arroyo and ask him all your questions about the season. Here we go. Adam, what do you got? Well, it's November, and my chonies in November are already getting ready for Christmas. So <laughs> we're going to be talking um, going to be talking about some special things here as we get into Candy's chonies today. As this is a segment, of course, where I give Ed Graney oh, numbers. And I fail miserably each time telling you what those numbers mean. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's a now, great segment. <laughs> I will say that the, we're, we're going to begin with something a little less analytically minded here. Um, 1856. 1856. There's a colon in the middle. 18 colon 56. Okay, so 18 minutes and 56 seconds. I'm thinking that what that means. And it goes November or December. Can you give me that? Uh, it, it is actually a number that applies mostly to October. Oh, to October. 1856. It comes from hockey. The average ice time for Alice Petrangelo. Okay. You're on the right track, so we'll give you this one. Uh, William Carlson. Oh, okay. Because obviously William Carlson is our guy in the news here right now where he is now out. Uh, for four to six weeks. He is averaging this season 18 minutes and 56 seconds of ice time per game. Uh, his career high in 1920 was 18 minutes and 52 seconds per game. So not a huge increase for William Carlson. But let's go to Alex Petrangelo since you mentioned him. Uh, last season, Alex Petrangelo averaged 24 minutes and 26 seconds oh, per game. Oh, way off. 
This year, Alex Petrangelo is averaging 26 minutes oh, and 23 off. seconds. He is up by two minutes per game. That tops his career high by a few seconds from 2015-16. And you can add Nick Haig, Shea Theodore, Jonathan Marcheseau, Riley Smith, and Chandler Stevenson to the list of guys whose minutes have increased significantly with the Golden Knights injuries that they've faced this year. So I guess my question to you, Ed, is it is a delicate balance here for this team because they need to be able to stay afloat, right? They can't just say, well, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll just play guys the same way we would always play them and we'll make the playoffs and everything will be fine. At the same time, there's probably some fatigue to be talked about already with the Golden Knights. What do you think they do? I think Petrangelo goes home every night, looks at his wife and says, oh boy. I mean, this kid's playing a lot. Wait, I mean, Nathan McKinnon lives down the street? Oh! I didn't realize that. There you go. Well, he's, he's got enough money for a couple houses, so I'm sure he has one it's in true. Las Vegas with the taxes. Um, I, it's, it's tough, and we saw the lines that are supposedly going to come out tonight. I don't know how you can't play him this much to stay afloat. And you got to hope, obviously, you got to hope when Stone comes back and, and, and Pacioretty comes back and Tuck finally comes back and Jack Eichel comes back, there's a little uh, shout-out for the trade, uh, that those minutes obviously would decrease. But with Edmonton and Calgary playing the way they are, um, I don't know, you know, look, it's early, and I made fun of it the other day when they beat Anaheim, the sky's not falling and the world hasn't ended. But if, for whatever reason, those two kind of take off, I think you have to try to keep up somewhat until your, until your big guns come back. And a byproduct of that is everyone has to play more. You're right, though, because where's the delicate balance of everyone's going to play more, and then in March, everyone's dead tired. And that's what you have to keep in mind if you are this team, right? You are not playing for right now. You just need to get in. And it doesn't matter whose ice you're playing on in the end. You, you believe that you have the deepest, most talented group of forwards in the league when you're right. So... If you're the Golden Knights, I, I do think you keep this up as best you can. But at the same time, um, you know, when everybody comes back, maybe that's the time when you can pull back on the gas a little bit, right? As you start to get Mark Stone at all, Nolan Patrick back into the lineup, then maybe you start to pull the gas back a little bit on those guys. And maybe you ride your sto guys like Stone a little harder because they have had some time off. So it's it's going to be an interesting balance for the Golden Knights. All right. So we, we, uh, I was way you off on that. I well, I was but okay you, but on the you ice know what? time, hey, but I was hey, way buddy, off on that. Hey, buddy, you got right Come down on. to what the stat was, and that deserves credit. That deserves well, credit. given how All bad right. I am at this, yes, I think it does. It does deserve <laughs> credit. All right. 62.1%. Oh. 62.1%. This number increased by 0.7% from last week. Derek Carr's completion percentage. It is a number about the Raiders. It is not a number, um, include, including uh, Derek Carr, largely because Derek Carr didn't play last week, so it would have been hard for his completion. Oh, my bad. The bye. Okay, the bye week. Okay. Um, but it is still a number that went up for the Raiders. 62.1%. It applies to the Raiders. Uh, playoff percentages to get to the that playoffs? That is the, according to Football Outsiders, the... Las Vegas Raiders have a 62.1% chance to make the playoffs as of uh, right now. Okay. So they have a, let me get this number correct, they have a 32.5% chance to win the division, and that is actually uh, the highest of any team in the division at the moment. Kansas City is at 27%. 
Uh, wild card chances of 30% adds up to 62%. Ed, do the Raiders feel like a team to you that has a 62% chance to make the playoffs? Oh, I'm going to get killed for this. No, because of the second half schedule. Uh-oh. No, the 62%. I'm not going far down the list. I'm not going down to like 40%, but I think 62% is pretty high for given. And here's the other thing, uh, which is why I asked Charles, six and four two years ago, lose five of the last six, yes. six and three last year, finish eight and eight. Like, I'm just in that mode of, especially, and you've mentioned it, how tough the schedule gets. I'm sort of in the Oakland A's coming to Las Vegas mode of, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, you said you said yourself, it's not sustainable, probably defensively. I think Carr is somewhat sustainable because I think Carr is really good, and there's no, and there's absolutely, you know, no doubt he was not the reason they folded the last two years. But I, Adam, I'm going to say above 62 percent is a little too much for my liking. Maybe in the mid to low 50s. I will actually endorse this. I think that when you look around the AFC, the the wins that they've banked already are going to go a long way for this Raiders team, especially the fact that they've got um, this schedule coming up where you still have the Giants this week. You still have the Washington football team at home, which is going to look like a very winnable game. You still have the Broncos at home, which is a very winnable game. If you give them those three, then the Raiders get to eight wins, and then you assume they're probably going to be able to pull one or two out of the rest of what they have left, which puts them at 10 wins, which is going to get into the playoffs with seven spots because twice against Kansas City, then you get the real stretch here, right? The Bengals come to town, and that is going to be a real test of how good this pass rush and secondary is with uh, everybody they have to cover on the Bengals. And then you've got the short week going to the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. That is a really rough stretch. Then that you go is. to Kansas City, to Cleveland, and then you also still have to go to Indianapolis. Yeah. So there are not a lot of cream puffs on the road uh, for this Raiders team the rest of the season that being said I think because they're already at five wins getting to 10 is probably going to be enough for the Raiders um that is uh as a wild card it. as a wild card yeah, yeah. I, I'm saying minimum as a wild card mm-hmm. right I, I I don't think that this team is necessarily uh done in terms of the division I mean heck they've they've got the lead right now right. uh and still have another game against the Chargers at home coming up later this year but uh I still think that when you factor in that seven teams are going to make the playoffs, that the Raiders should be one of them in the AFC. That, sir, is what's in my chonies. There it is, Candy's chonies. When we come back, Benjamin Goats from the Review Journal. We're going to talk VGK. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Randall against Ananobi, between the legs, now a three, off glass, and good. It's been that type of start for Randall. We're going to do Knicks highlights from MSG. Let's, you know, next time, let's get Gallant from MSG. Let's get Gerard. Wow, what a start for the guy. Gerard's off to a good start. Join us now, speaking of hockey, follow him on Twitter at Ben S. Goats. He's your Vegas Golden Knights beat writer for the Review Journal. You were playing hockey as a kid. You've got some kind of relative who's like a hockey player in college, so you come from a hockey family. If you had to, could you start on the fourth line tonight? Uh, absolutely not, mainly because, one, <laughs> I don't hit. That, uh, that was number one line on my scouting report oh. uh, back in the day of, okay. all right, you could you know charge right through this guy. I mean, <laughs> soft, I'm sure, was written in capital letters. And two, I was a defenseman, so to give myself some credit, I'd be playing out of position. Not that that's ever stopped the Knights before. 
Uh, but I don't think I quite have the uh, smooth skating stride to handle the transition as smoothly as uh, Dylan Coughlin has already uh, had to do this year. And who knows, he might have to do it uh, several more times before the year is out. D- does it ever end? Six weeks now for Carlson. We know all the others who are out. Uh, Adam and I have talked about this. You know, tread water until you get everyone back. And uh, everyone's got to play more minutes. He, he mentioned the minutes before you came on. It's ridiculous for some of these guys. We don't know how they're going to feel physically when everyone comes back. But is that, is that the message here now? You have to tread water no matter who's in the lineup, and you have to stay at least within shouting distance or close enough to where it's not really bad when the big guns get back in terms of where you are in the standings. Yeah, but I think that message is going to get uh, trickier and trickier to deliver going forward here just because of the litany of injuries they continue to suffer. When they had Stone and Patch Radio, I think, you know, everyone kind of thought, hey, if you hover around 500 and those guys, you know, get back at some point, you know, maybe mid-December or something for Patch Ready, all right, you're going to be in okay shape because, honestly, for this team, the goal should be to make the playoffs and then you can do whatever you want in the postseason. I mean, we've seen it numerous times that home ice advantage doesn't exactly give you a whole lot of an edge when it comes to the playoffs. So the Knights, if they get in, um, they should be fine. Now, obviously, uh, the fact that now you have William Carlson out in addition to Stone, Pacioretty, uh, White Cloud. Uh, Nolan Patrick is uh, not on this road trip, as my colleague David Chain reported yesterday. I mean, that's just a lot of guys to kind of keep, you know, pushing through. Obviously, next man up is a mentality that, you know, it's a cliche across all of sports. That can only go so far when you're reaching this deep into the next man. I mean, Coach Pete DeVore said this morning in Toronto that Brett Howden, who the Knights acquired for a fourth-round pick this offseason and was looking like their 13th forward in training camp, is going to be basically their second-line center tonight between Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith. I mean, there is, you know, preparing for certain scenarios. There is having depth. And there is the scenario that the Knights are in right now, which I don't think any team could have adequately prepared for. So, Ben, given the realities that they're facing in terms of their roster right now, what, if anything, does that mean to how they go after Jack Eichel? Well, it's really fascinating to see what kind of curveball this might throw into negotiations because, obviously, I mean, it's well reported that the Knights have gone down the road of the Jack Eichel talk with the Buffalo Sabres. They've you know, clearly exchanged some proposals, haven't obviously made a deal yet. Um, but it becomes fascinating to see how the team wants to play it with all these injuries because Jack Eichel is not a guy that's going to provide immediate help. And uh, more likely in the short term, a Jack Eichel trade uh, would make this team worse because they're going to need to take players off the NHL roster in order to make the salary cap math work when Pacioretty Stone, White Cloud, and Eichel are all ready to play again. Now, that might not happen for a while, but the team does need to prepare for that eventuality. So it, it sure seems that the Knights, even with Stone and Pacioretty out, were prepared to keep talking to the Sabres about Eichel. Now with William Carlson out for another four to six weeks, I wonder how much it changes the calculus of, can we really afford to get worse in the short term at this point right now and stay competitive in the playoff races, there was already so much going on with the Eichel negotiations in terms of complications with uh, his injury, the surgery he's going to get, then his subsequent recovery and his timeline to get back to the ice, the salary cap management in terms of pieces going the other way. 
And now you add on top of it the fact that the Knights have to balance their uh, short-term interest in making sure they're still in the playoff race uh, with you know the potential long-term interest of adding a very, very talented center who maybe they think could put them over the top in terms of the Stanley Cup bid. Uh, it's all fascinating, and I'm very interested to see how this all ends up shaking out. There have been so many reports, and you just mentioned you know uh, a roundabout in terms of who they would have to give up for him. Uh, do you a couple questions? One, do you believe the narrative that they will not give up Krebs, even if it came right down to the last second? They said you can have Jack Eichel. We want him. You throw him in. The deal is done. If you don't believe that, then give us some names and scenarios that you believe made sense. As we keep hearing these reports, whether it's Smith, Theodore picks, like what makes sense for them that you're like, all right, he's just too good, and we have to do this. Yeah, I don't know how much to believe the Krebs stuff. Obviously, it seems at least somewhat posturing by the Golden Knights. He's obviously their top prospect, a guy that's highly thought of around the NHL. It wouldn't shock me if they were insistent on keeping him just because I know how highly he is thought of uh, within the organization from people uh, that were in the organization, now outside the organization. I mean, Ryan Reeves, when I did a feature on Krebs uh, this during training camp, basically said, I wouldn't be surprised if it's someday, uh, you know, he's a captain. Um, he's talking about Peyton Krebs, a guy who's 20 years old, who he interacted with very briefly, although he didn't have him at his house. So, you know, if the Knights truly do feel that Krebs is that special, it's not just a player, but a person, I can understand the reluctance to give up on him. You know, in terms of other guys that then could be packaged in the trade, I usually think if you're Knights, uh, most prospects and picks besides Krebs have to be on the table then. And it'd be fascinating to see uh, which ones the Sabres would kind of uh, pick and choose from that and which ones they wouldn't. Obviously, if you're the Sabres, I think you would prefer a prospect-heavy package because if the Knights get Eichel, uh, those picks aren't probably going to be that valuable uh, to you. They're going to be at the end of the first round, most likely, as the Knights have been the last couple of years. So how exciting is that really for you if you're the Sabres to get those back? Um, and then you got to turn to you know, how do you make the salary work because – if you bring Jack Eichel in and he's making uh, $10 million a year and assuming the Sabres do not retain any of his salary, which it sounds like they are unwilling to do, I mean, we're talking about a big subtraction for the Knights because they were already going to be over the salary cap once Alex Tuck got back from long-term injured reserve. So you're talking about taking, you know, $12, $13 million worth of players off of your roster and that's going to be very difficult to do. So even if you say toss in a Riley Smith who makes $5 million and has an expiring contract this offseason, same with Braden McNabb that gets you to 7.5. Uh, Alex Tuck is 4.75. He's from the Syracuse area. Maybe you toss him in, and you're still not all the way there. So you're talking about a lot of guys that have to come up off this roster to make the money work, and that's what makes this deal I think so difficult for both sides to pull off is what can the Knights afford to give up without taking too much off their current roster? What are the Sabres even willing to take back? Because if you're the Sabres and you're, uh, despite the fact that the record is actually very good right now, likely trying to go for a high lottery pick this season, do you really want to take back the Riley Smith, Braden McNabb of the world? And then what prospects are both teams going to agree are going to be willing to change sides here because keep in mind one of the other Knights' top forward prospects, uh, Brendan Brisson, is the son of the agent who is uh, working on this deal, Pat Brisson, who is Jack Eichel's new agent as of this summer. So that's another fun wrinkle 
that I'm sure both sides are considering in these trade talks. And it's why it is so complicated and why this is dragged out for so, so long. Talking to Ben Goetz from the Review Journal about the Golden Knights here on the Press Box. And Ben, you uh, you worked on the story about what's going on at T-Mobile Arena in the early part of the season with the Golden Knights. And, and it's very strange to see any empty seats in that arena. Uh, what did you take away from the reporting you did on why there have been uh, more openings at T-Mobile than usual for VGK games? Yeah, so the number one thing I took away is, one, uh, this is not specifically a Golden Knights issue, and I think that's important to point out. This is an NHL-wide issue. NHL uh, attendance, when I did that story, was down about 10% from its pre-pandemic levels in 2019-20. And teams are just having a hard time um, having people get into their buildings. We've seen some really long sellout streets fall across the NHL. Uh, the Blackhawks, the Penguins, the Predators, all teams that had no problem whatsoever filling their buildings for years before this one all of a sudden cancel out. So it's not just a T-Mobile Arena-specific issue, um, but the other big thing that I heard from a lot of people, and I think there's so many branches that go off of this, is just uh, COVID. Uh, so many things related to COVID are affecting attendance. Uh, you know, The economy is obviously still recovering locally. Tourism is still recovering locally. Obviously, the Knights uh, mostly do have local fans, usually at T-Mobile Arena, but there always are some visitors. And even when the St. Louis Blues were in town last homestand, they're a team that almost always travels well, and their numbers were fewer. Uh, Canadian fans, obviously, it's much trickier with the border for them to travel. Right now, the Edmonton Oilers were already in town. And then, of course, there's just uh, the mask mandate, which I think a lot of people... uh, do not like, do not want to deal with, do not like how other people are handling it in the arena because I heard a lot of complaints from fans about uh, people basically not adhering to the mask mandate and that kind of affected their willingness to go to games. And so I think there's just so many factors uh, branching out from COVID and the effects it's had you know, on society in general and obviously continues to have uh, at least going forward here because the mask mandate is still in place and it's not sure uh, for anyone, when it's going to go away, that it just makes people a little bit less willing to kind of make the trek out there uh, knowing that, you know, it's going to be a pain and probably expensive to park. Obviously, concessions aren't cheap. And the tickets themselves, even though if you wait for the last minute on secondary markets right now, you can get cheap tickets. Uh, for the most part, the face value of the tickets is still very high. And so all those factors, I think, make people a little bit less willing to make the trip so far this season. And that's why we're seeing those empty seats so far. Uh, it's once again a very complex and interesting and tricky situation to navigate, and a lot of NHL teams are dealing with the same issues the Knights are dealing with right now. Before we let you go, you asked a uh, question of Robin Leonard uh, the other night um, about Kyle Beach. He spoke to him. Robin was very emotional in his answer to you. I want your thoughts quickly. A minute here on Gary Bettman and his refusal to not go to the wall with defending his league about what they did with the Chicago Blackhawks. I thought it was embarrassing yesterday. Your thoughts on Gary Bettman. So the key phrase that stuck out to me from the Gary Bettman press conference that absolutely just, you know, broke my heart, crushed my soul, is that Rick Westhead, uh, the TSN reporter, who has done so much good work reporting the story, uh, asked Bettman if the league would uh, basically commit to counseling for a uh, teenage boy who was also allegedly sexually assaulted in Michigan by Brad Aldrich, who allegedly sexually assaulted Kyle Beach, 
um, basically because, you know, the league didn't handle this. And Bettman said he'd have to think on the particulars of the situation, despite the fact that Aldrich already had his day in court for these allegations and was found guilty. And it just spoke to the fact that the league does not get it. The league is not caring. The league is not kind or compassionate when it comes to these things. And they had to be forced into action, even in the Kyle Beach case. And now they're not being forced into action in situations where the, the legal system has already you know, basically presented its findings. Fred Aldrich got to process in that case, and the league still won't commit to helping uh, the victim. And that was just very sad and disappointing, and I don't think that press conference was a good look for the league at all, nor was this situation at large. He does a terrific job covering the Golden Knights. Follow him on Twitter at Ben S. Goats. He's your Review Journal beat writer. Uh, great stuff each day from him. Thanks, Ben. We appreciate it. No problem, guys. Thank you. Good stuff by him there, and uh, he was the guy who asked uh, Robin Leonard the question the other night that got the emotional response. All right, when we come back, uh, possibly some breaking news. We'll ask Candy about that, uh, and we'll close out the show. You're locked in the press box. Closing it out here on a Tuesday. Reminder now, Tyler Bischoff is back tomorrow live from Houston, where he will watch his Houston Astros hopefully lose the World Series, so we can give him a hard time about that. Adam Candy is with him all week and into next week. I'm off to New York to see the Raiders. And Gerard Gallant going to stop by and see the former Golden Knights coach. Adam, a little breaking news. I want to get your thoughts. UNLV Athletics has announced that it would require proof of COVID-19 vaccination at all Rebel basketball games played at Thomas and Mac this year, um, allowing attendance without wearing a mask. So if you show up with your card and you say you're vaccinated, doesn't appear like you need a mask. What do you think? I think UNLV is absolutely to be commended for mm-hmm. making this decision. I think it makes the Golden Knights continue to look worse and worse uh, for their choice because Mark Davis gave everyone cover to do this sure. by putting a mandate for vaccination onto one of the most popular tickets that this town has ever seen with the Raiders. And so if the UNLV administration is willing to do that for a program where, frankly, attendance has been flagging for a long time uh then that's bold right like there's no guarantee that people are showing up to watch unlv basketball but what they've done is they've given their fans who are loyal their season ticket holders they've given them more peace of mind they've given them a safer environment they've given the student athletes they've given the workers in thomas and mac they've given everyone certainty and a lot more comfort in going to the building So there you are. Get vaccinated if you want to see them because you're going to have to prove it when you walk in to basketball games this year. I have to ask you about this before we go. I wanted to ask you all week about this because there's two sides of the story, and we see it all the time. You you officiate high school athletics. I want to know your thoughts. Englewood football, Englewood Morningside, and Englewood High faced off Friday in a matchup. uh, Decided well before the opening kickoff. The final score, Englewood 106, Morningside 0. Here we go again. We get this in basketball more than football, but the idea of – you're not, you're not good sports. It was a classless move, according to Morningside coach Brian Collins. And the other side is, hey, why don't you stop somebody? Um, i got to get your thoughts on this because I've never really known where I stand because I'm in the middle of this. Because I've always, let, me, let me tell you this. If they do gimmick things to end the game early, if they do gimmick things where you must play your third string and run, I'm almost, if I'm the team losing, don't want that. Like Because that's almost making a more of a joke to me out of it than if you just line up and say, look, we're not as good as you. Let's get this over, but we're going to try and we're going to play everyone and whatever. As a person who knows prep sports as well as anyone who's officiated, where do you stand on 106 0? 
it's a tricky situation because of what you just talked about with what are the rules and what are you doing to both sides of the equation. Right. Uh, so start with the team that is being beaten 106 to nothing. You don't come into a game <laughs> knowing that you have a chance and lose 106 to nothing. You came into that game knowing that there was no chance uh, to do that. Now, here's where the problem comes in for me. Um, the team that won, Inglewood wins the game. Right. Uh, their quarterback, Justin Martin, committed to UCLA last week through 13 touchdown passes. Okay. It's a good night. Good night. Okay. At the point where he's thrown half of that, it is time to get somebody else into the lineup. You're obviously not getting your third, fourth string guys in if that's the case. Now, most schools, uh, I should say most associations, have a provision where in a game like this, the clock's going to run after a certain amount of time, and hopefully the game will shorten for everybody's sake, uh, for player safety uh, in, in a lot of ways. But you should be giving the third and fourth string kids a chance to play because that's part of the equation in high school sports, right? Varsity sports still, you should be giving the kids at the end of the roster a chance to play in that game, not having your starting quarterback throw 13 touchdown passes. And, it, it, you know, and it's something we've dealt with here. Yeah. It's not anything new. I mean, there have yeah. been... There have been a lot of words written about Centennial Girls basketball in particular and just how strong that program is and the fact that they've won some games by enormous margins and coaches have gotten upset. And frankly, I look at those teams and I've officiated those teams. They only keep nine or ten players. Like there's only so many players you can put into the game to change things up. And what do you want them to do? Like does any – you just said it a minute ago. Do you want to feel like you are being embarrassed by a team just sitting on the ball? I don't think so. No, and again, it's it's a cliche because it's true. I don't think you can put the four-string kid in and tell him not to play hard either. So maybe, again, maybe Inglewood's four-string kid is better than the Morningside kid's first-string kid. I don't know. Obviously, Inglewood has a much better team. I did like, however, and you'll like this because it's the alma mater playing into it, Brian Collins said, you know what, why don't you go play Bosco or Modern Day? <laughs> so I actually liked that right. uh, as a monarch and as a uh, uh, Modern Day yeah. alum. Uh, CIF Southern Section. Uh, athletic contests are to be conducted under the strict code of sportsmanship. 106 one, uh, 106.0 does not represent these ideals. We condemn in the strongest term results such as these. It is our expectation that Englewood administration will work towards putting in place an action plan so that an event such as this does not repeat itself. I'll tell you who's mad at 13 interceptions. I'm mad as hell if I'm UCLA. I'm like, why would you have that kid in there with the possibility of him getting hurt when he just committed to us? Have him throw five interceptions and get the hell out of the gate. Uh, you know what? I, I don't have any <laughs> argument with that, uh, Ed. Jared, you're probably going to have to help Ed out with this one. Um, just letting you know in advance. So you're telling me, Ed, that the CIF said Inglewood is always up to no good? Uh, well, yes. Work at sorts, Work towards putting in place so it never happens again. Mm. I mean, do they? Okay. Inglewood is 8-0. Uh, they're in the, well, the Southern Section Division Two playoffs, so... I don't know what they would do in Division One. I'd like to know. I don't know their sch schedule. Morningside's two and eight. I'd like to know the two teams they beat and what Ingle would do. Inglewood would do to them. Okay, Ed. How many arenas? How many arenas have you been in? How many times have you heard the song "California Love"? A lot. I okay. believe. Inglewood. 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 Always up to no good. From California Love. Oh, I, I was yeah. thinking just because it's played so often in arenas that maybe you had a shot at that one. I had no shot. I had a better shot at 1826 being Petrangelo's ice time 
than I did uh, <laughs> um, with that one. Inglewood up to no good. All right, I'm going to have to listen well, to that. You, Jared, knows uh, my, yeah. Jared knows my yeah. musical expertise, and it's just sad saying that word it, when it comes he, to it. You could have said Tupac, and he would have gone, Drake? Yes. This is what I do. Fair. I've told you this in the past. If I hear any oh, song, I know. it That's doesn't why matter. I, That's why you I thought it would that. be fun yeah. just to try. Yeah. Uh, Bischoff's back tomorrow. Adam's with him all week and into next week. Adam, I appreciate it. Great job as usual. Uh, we'll talk to you when I get back to New York, and take care of yourself. Let's go, Braves.